The scripture reading this morning is from 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy three sixteen, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are to be glorified in everything that you've created. And as redeemed people purchased with precious blood, above all, we should seek to glorify you and everything we do, everything we say. And I pray, Father, this morning that we would see the beauty of the fellowship of believers as the context for your building a holy people, and that we would see and we would feel and know deep in our hearts that the Word of God is necessary to guide us and to sanctify us. And so we plead this morning, Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit to work these truths into our hearts and that they would not just be dry intellectual truths, but that we would love them and we would say deep in our hearts, yes, Lord, your word is true and it's right. And I delight in it. Glorify your name by making us a holy people. And use your word, Father, to do it. I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Nice. Boy, this is kind of interesting to see everybody. I like this. This is okay. Um, Nice to see everybody here this morning. Um, As a word of review, um, this is week two of a general series this two weeks on our Word, the God's Word, and our life together as a body of Christ. How does God use His Word to make us a people that do good works? Last week, we didn't focus on 2 Timothy, but we did focus on what is already true of us as Christians. You know, anytime you get exhorted to read the Bible or to do something, it can be discouraging. You realize Oh, here we go. I can't do this. And because I can't do it, I feel guilty. Um, I don't read like I ought to. I don't pray like I ought to. And I'm just feeling guilty about it. Well, we spent a considerable amount of time looking at many passages about what is so true of us already as Christians. We looked at the fact that, and Jesse actually prayed it this morning, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the worth of Jesus Christ is immense. Um, His perfect life lived so that we could be redeemed. That belongs to us now as our righteousness. We are secure in God's arms. We are secure forever. If we don't get up tomorrow morning and live like we think we should live and we haven't met our standards 
don't fret. It's going to happen. Tomorrow morning or this week, you'll wake up and thinking, or in the evening, maybe you reflect on your day's events and you think, oh boy, I responded wrongly. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I didn't do this enough. I had an opportunity. I wasted it. Don't fret about that. God doesn't accept us on whether we have a Bible study in the morning. God doesn't accept us based on whether I said all the right things and I did all the right things and and loved to the way I should love. He accepts us because of Jesus Christ and Him alone. So when we pray to the Father, which we should be praying, we're praying in Jesus' name, knowing that aside of Him, we couldn't approach the throne of grace at all. We could never bring, what do we bring as sinful creatures to commend ourselves to a holy God? We can't. The only thing we can plead is the worth of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. If we get this wrong, if we don't, um, I mean, if we get this in our head, that's one thing. Yes, I know that Jesus died for my sins. I'm a sinner, and God's my, Jesus is my only hope. But the key is to taste the sweetness of it to me. The power in the gospel practically, is not merely that I get it intellectually, that I can recite a gospel track, so to speak. I think what God wants us to experience is the beauty and the glory of the gospel of grace. It's that sweetness when we've tasted, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. When we taste how good the gospel is. I mean, we all feel that. I mean, come away from a great Bible study or a good devotional time, you experience God in some way. He was faithful to you in some way as you thought about his word, as you thought about the forgiveness freely given in Jesus Christ. So that's the key to everything else we're going to talk about today. All the exhortations for the rest of the day are going to be grounded on our security in Christ and, in fact, empowered by knowing deep down inside that Almighty God loves us, okay? We are children. We are adopted into his family. So keep that in mind as you are provoked the rest of the sermon. I hope you are provoked. I was provoked in reading these passages this week. I'm hoping you are provoked. So God's word and our life together. big portion of today's sermon is going to be about the body of Christ. Um, if you rewind a number of years ago when Pastor Charlie preached on Ephesians, we don't have to rehearse all the glories of um, the creation of the church and the body of Christ. What we will focus on today is as the body of Christ, as a people set apart, what does that look like as a set-apart people? We talked about last week the call to holiness. God did not just save us so that I can go to heaven now. I can be forgiven and know that I'm forgiven. No, he created us as new creatures in Christ. When you're born again, you have new desires that you never had before, even if they're in seed form, okay? And they are there. Even if it's in seed form, you have desires for God that you never had prior to being in Christ. Very, very important. So he's creating a people who are holy, who love him, who want to seek him in his word, who want to honor him. Now, we need each other to do that. 
He saved us to righteousness. And by a great measure, it's a community project. It's very much a we need to do this together. So that's what I mean by God's Word, Him using His, His Word in each of us individually, and then we come together and minister to us by the Word of God. We absolutely need to know the Word of God, and we need it to be loving to each other. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, it says, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. God's Word, I'm preaching to the choir, I understand, but let's say it again. God's Word's very important. He spoke through the prophets. Okay, we're going to get into what it means to be God-inspired. The Word of God is inspired or God-breathed in a moment. But think of how important it is. God revealed Himself to us and His ways through the prophets of old and primarily at a point in time through Jesus Christ, His Son. He spoke to us in His Son. It's really important that we understand the Word of God is in a sense divine in a sense. And what I mean by that is that it's God's very presence in the world. When God speaks, it has power. It has activity. When He says something in His Word, to the extent that we believe it, it will be powerful in our lives. To the extent that we speak the Word into each other's lives, it will bear fruit. It may be the fruit of conviction. It may be the fruit of peace. God decides that in the moment. But because He has spoken in His Son and His Word is to be treasured, we need to take it seriously. So, kind of as a way to, as an illustration, um, each of us has a story to tell in life. So if I asked you, you know, what is your story? What is your, your background in life? What's your upbringing like? What's your current situation like? Are you married, not married? Working, not working. Um, disease in the family, healthy. What is your current story? And how would you answer that? Would you be prepared to answer that if someone asked you? And if you are prepared to answer that, does anybody else know about it? Does anybody else know that you have a stress that you've been holding on to? Does anybody else know? I hope people know. I hope that someone knows the things that really trouble you and that hinder you from love and freedom in Christ. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 to 5 say, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth each of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. I don't get the glory of union with Christ like I should. I know that. I read about it. I taste it in some way. I understand that we were baptized into Christ Jesus. I see that in Romans chapter 6. And by being baptized into Christ Jesus, great things have happened. We're freed from the dominion of sin. Whatever 
Jesus has accomplished becomes, us, becomes ours by a gift because of our union with Jesus. Okay? Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is building a body that is united to himself. So we are members of one another. We are more intimate than as believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, than we are with our own physical blood relatives. Now, if you're blood relatives and you're redeemed, there's a special connection there, of course. But think about this. We're born again by the same Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God, who is hovering over the surface of the waters in creation, at one point, He broke down the hardness in your hearts. At one point, through the preaching of the Word or the sharing of the Gospel, your hardness went away. You became redeemed. Well, that same Spirit did it for all of us. Doesn't that make us a precious family? We have the same spiritual Father. We were redeemed in the same way in general through the preaching of the Word, the need of Jesus. So how are we relating to one another? It's a question that you can keep asking. How are we relating to one another as this beautiful redeemed body? Are we fearful of each other in any way? Do we need to be fearful? I mean, we're going to be talking about provoking one another to love and good deeds. What is that going to look like in practice when I meet somebody after church and they ask me how it's going? I don't tell them. I'm not saying you spill your guts to everybody. There are people that you're close to. That's fine. That, that's, I, we expect that, to be close to friends. I'm not saying it's everyone. But will I, in the moment, be fearful of them? Will, it, will I be afraid that they will hurt me in some way? Now, we don't need to be, but let's, let's face it. We all have baggages and fears and sharing things. That's why we started last week with the gospel, what's true of us being united to Jesus. There's no condemnation for any one of us here. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? If God is the one who justifies, who condemns? That's all true of us. And if that's in our subconscious guiding us, I won't be fearful. And you won't be fearful when in the moment you share what's most needed for that brother or sister to help you. So we have nothing to fear. We need to stand firm against all challenges and do this together. We'll see in 2 Timothy, as Paul is approaching the end of his life, he's provoking Timothy to be watchful. And we're going to read some passages there that I think apply to us. So are we willing to do this? Are we willing to be not... We can say we're brothers and sisters in Christ, but are we going to be willing to be friends? Are we willing to do that? Will God put it on our hearts to say, I cannot do this together. I cannot be what he has called me to be, what Jesus saved me, me to be, outside of the church. Is there any urgency in your heart to be helpful to somebody else? Have you ever kicked yourself thinking, I should have said something then? This brother or sister was opening up to me, and I didn't say anything. I said I would pray for them. That is great. But what, did you have a word for them that was applicable to their need in the moment? Were you ready? I can't see myself the way I need to see myself. I am blind, absolutely blind, to habits of thinking, habits of acting, habits of relating. I'm just blind to them. 
I need somebody to say, by the way, I've seen this pattern in you. It's not helpful at all. You were in this, situ- uh, this situation in a Bible study, and the person tried to open up, and this is what I observed. I need that. I am blind, and we all have blind spots. And those blind spots will rob us of our helpfulness with each other, okay? Uh, I'm not just talking about some technique to be helpful. There are things we can learn. What I'm talking about is a naturalness of love that comes through being secure in Jesus, that comes from knowing your sins are forgiven, uh, comes from knowing that you have the Spirit of God in you empowering you. Knowing that deep down inside, that's what I'm referring to. A naturalness to your helpfulness. A naturalness to say, I'm spring-wired to be encouraging here and not to be passive. Okay? Are we willing? I'd like to read a quote. This is from Tim Keller's book on prayer, which I don't know if I've recommended it again, but I'll, I'll recommend it again. It's an absolutely great book. It's not just about prayer. It's about devotional life, the Word of God, Um, he's quoting C.S. Lewis here, and I thought this was a good way to wrap up this idea of how precious we have as a fellowship and our need for each other. So C.S. Lewis argues that it takes a community of people to get to know an individual person. It takes a community of people to get to know an individual person. Reflecting on his own friendships, he observed that some aspects of one of his friend's personality were brought out only through interaction with a second friend. I'll read that again. He observed that some aspects of one of his friend's personality were brought out only through interaction with the second friend. That meant if he lost the second friend, he lost part of his first friend that was otherwise invisible. Now this is Lewis. Quote, By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. This is Keller. If it takes a community to know an ordinary human being, how much more necessary would it be to get to know Jesus alongside others? By praying with friends, you will be able to hear and see facets of Jesus that you have not yet perceived. I like to think of it as that, I used to think in Bible studies, there's some of us who are more introverted. I'm more on the introverted side. Um, scale of 1 to 10, I'm four, 4 or 5. There are some are very quiet. And I often think that um, in Bible studies or at any time when we um, are not sharing, in some ways, we're not getting to see Jesus. Because I would suggest that all redeemed people have the Spirit of God working in them. That's a promise. Um, and so, if we are Christians, the Holy Spirit is doing something in your life. And I have an obligation to share it. I have an obligation to, to you all to say what is happening in my life and by virtue of saying what God is doing. And by virtue of that, you get to see more of me and more of who God is and what he's like. And so it's kind of a, you see the necessity there. I need to see through the lens, the, all your lenses, all your eyes, how is God relating to that situation. So say if Jesse's sharing something with me about his life, I may not be experiencing that exact same thing, but as he's describing it, and if I'm paying attention, he's always relating it to what God is doing. I get to learn about him and God at the same time. Okay? So there's a richness to body life 
um, that is available to us if we share, if we're free, if we're not fearful of each other. So the key point today is we need to apply, this is kind of an odd way to look at it, we need to apply the word to each other. I couldn't think of a better way to say it. Apply the word to each other so that we can glorify God, that we walk worthy, okay? That just simply means, do I know how the word of God applies to your situation as I understand it? So applying the word to each other that we may glorify God. Let's do an intro to Second Peter, uh, Second Timothy, excuse me. Paul's approaching the end of his ministry. You know, I don't know, you know, as I read those first few verses, and as I read some background, he knew he was going to be killed. I mean, he, unlike First Timothy, in Second Timothy, at least to me, it comes across much more strongly that he knew his, his days were numbered. And he would be killed for his faith. And so there's a series of things that he's going to warn Timothy about, and by extension, warn us as well. How might we live if we knew we were coming to the end of something? See, it doesn't have to be as drastic as, I know I'm, say, going to die. But what happens, I'm just thinking of, we have a number of our youth that are approaching graduation. There's that day coming when they are going off to school. There's a deadline, so, so to speak. There's a deadline there. Have I said what needs to be said? Have I wasted time? There's an urgency in Paul's words to Timothy because of the things that Paul knew would happen to himself and the dangers impacting Timothy. I'm going to read a few passages. You don't have to turn there. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Timothy's going to be facing strong trials. And due to the gospel, due to all of last week's text that we looked at, we can be bold. We don't have to be timid. We can speak a word knowing that it's God's word. If we're faithful to God's word, we can speak it. We can be bold knowing it's God working through us. 2 Timothy 1.13, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. He's encouraging him. Stay close to sound teaching. Just easy to repeat. Sounds like a basic message, but in this day and age, it seems like a lot of folks are turning aside from sound teaching. And he didn't think it was a, or being too repetitive to say the same thing again. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The word of God is critical for the building up of the body of Christ. The word of God is critical for our joy in knowing Jesus more our joy in knowing what the Father is like. It's critical for our holiness. He wants Timothy to prepare men to teach the Word of God, to feed his people. Very important. The world will reject this. They reject the Bible. We exp- they're going to reject the Bible. We don't care. We don't care what they reject, but we just, with boldness and lack of timidity, we speak it plainly and in love and plead with God to do the work.
2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. This is for all of us. This is not just for Timothy. We must accurately handle the word of truth. We can't be the type of people who, while we are in our Bibles daily, we take things out of context. We take a Bible verse that we think is encouraging, meant to do one thing, but it's not meant really to do that. Okay? We believe that there was a situation, there was a context Paul was writing about, and we need to understand how it was meant then before we can apply it to our own lives. We need to accurately handle the Bible, which means we need to read it, we need to study it, we need to listen to it taught, we need to read books, we need to challenge each other with these teachings. Why? Truth matters, right? Shades of truth? Well, I know, the fact of the matter is, um, one of the first preachers I ever heard, I I couldn't even mention him to have anybody go listen to this person this day. He, um, in many ways, is a false teacher, but guess what? I was a non-Christian. He was talking about Jesus Christ. He was talking about the Word of God. He, he walked out in front, and he had the Bible open, and he was saying some true things. I was captivated by it. That was the very first person I ever heard that I can remember, that I can remember that spoke the gospel. He did not accurately handle the Word of truth across his ministry. Now I think about it. But does that mean that there was no truth there? No. Does that mean we want to settle for that? No. We don't want to settle for that. What we want is to accurately handle the Word of God, so we have to be students of it. 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness number of passages we looked at last week about the call to holiness. We talked about two aspects of holiness, that when, like Israel of old, God set them apart to be a people for his own possession, okay? In Christ, we are set apart to be a people. That's one aspect of sanctification or being set apart. The aspect we've been talking about now is this progressive more and more looking like Jesus, more and more hating what we should hate and loving what we should love. Everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. So if I'm at work, this, this is sobering to me. Um, should be sobering to all of us. But if I'm at work and I exhibit a bad temper regularly and they know I'm a Christian, what happens? Especially if there are no Christians around. They're going to snicker at Jesus. They'll say, hypocrite, rightfully so. But they will potentially not seek Jesus for that. It's potential. If I have a habit of doing those kinds of things, do I expect people to run to Jesus when I'm Jesus, Jesus this, and Jesus loves me, and and I'm nasty? What would I expect? Well, guess what? When we sin, God looks bad. He cares about our holiness. He cares about the glory of his name. We have the name of God imprinted on us. We carry the name of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. We must abstain from wickedness and the power that he provides. Part of the word of God, and a big part of that is us laser-focusing through our counsel of one another, passages of Scripture accurately handled to address our need. 
in the Spirit's mighty hands, it might be said, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Someone may tell me that. Do you understand that, Mike? The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. I need, to, I need to know it more. That's a practical way of what that would work like. I'm thinking I'm being angry and I'm getting something done because I want my boss to go a certain direction. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness that God requires, the righteousness of God. God cares about our holiness. Paul emphasizes all of these things because he's approaching the end of his life and he wants Timothy and all of us to be aware. There are false teachers in, out there. Um, there's always a danger when somebody stands up and starts talking about false teachers that you come across arrogantly. I don't want to come across that way at all. Um, I want to be very careful. I want to handle the Word of God properly. I don't want to overstate something and understate anything that should be magnified. Um, and so I'm constrained, you know, and I'm not going to mention names or anything like that. We all know false teachers, perhaps, in the church. Um, certainly society, we don't expect them to act differently than what we see. So what does that leave us? What does that leave us is that we need to be people of the Bible, trusting, in, trusting Christ and trusting God that he will work in his timing. And we need to rebuke false teaching where we see it in love. If it's in your own local body, if it's in our body here, and a brother or sister says something that's clearly out of bounds, you take them aside afterwards and say, could you explain that again? I'm not sure if I understood that because it didn't sound quite right. You can do it humbly and then, I mean, that's how you handle it because the purity of the church matters. It really matters. And if we are not about people of the truth and core things, we have nothing to stand on. We can claim Jesus all we want, But if we neglect accurately handling the word in sound teaching, what are we standing on? Our foundation is very rocky. And we will give in to behavioral things and to doctrinal things sooner or later. Okay? We want to be people that handle the word of God in a loving, compassionate way. We want to be good counselors, but not to say, well, if I speak too strongly, they're not going to listen to me. Well, we have to do both. Okay? We have to do both. So the passage for today is all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Scripture is God's very word. It's God-breathed. Think about this for a minute. God is very great. Amen? He's very great. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. The Westminster Confession says God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchanging in his being, wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and truth. This is an awesome God. We can't see him. He's all of those things. Read Isaiah. I was reading Isaiah a month or so ago. I couldn't, you know, it's just glorious what this God is like. We can't see him. He is a spirit. If God did not choose to reveal, we would know nothing about God. Okay, God condescended, meaning he brought himself, I'm going to use this word cautiously, brought himself down 
condescended to creatures to reveal what he is like. Okay? We have, we, in our circles, we like to think of natural revelation. God reveals himself in creation. Amen. Everything that's created by God is meant to reflect his glory. I don't know, I've been watching robins underneath my deck this last week. I'm fascinated by these little buggers, and they got the nest up there, and the babies are showing. And, I'm, and as I sat there, I said, I could see why people observe birds. I got to lear- learn to listen to their chirps and say, okay, the mother must be coming because the birds are getting active. You know, glory to God. He reveals of him something of himself in creation. I mean, pick it, the, the, the fine-tuning of the universe, if you're into that kind of thing. I mean, name it. He, glorifies himself by revealing himself. But you can only know so much, right? If we didn't have the written revelation and primarily the revelation of Jesus Christ, we would not know the way of salvation. That guilt that you all feel and you all felt in a real big way at one point, you would have nothing. There would be nothing you could do with it. You'd have to hold it. What would you do? I know something in, in me. When you read Romans chapter 2, you think, oh, wow, yeah, even Gentiles who do not, they, they know deep down in their side that there's a God. Well, when God breathed into the writers of the Scripture, His very Word, we have written revelation now. It's God breathed. God's Word is a product of a divine operation. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. This does not mean, like the Roman Catholic Church would like us have us to believe, that we're, um, we're, to, we're allowed to just read the Bible on our own. That that's somehow a bad thing. No, that's not what this is referring to. This is referring to meaning that we didn't just make it up. These writers didn't just make up the Bible out of thin air. Men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. So the product, I don't have the Bible in front of me, I have typed up verses, but that Bible, that Word of God, is a product of divine work. Okay? It's unlike any other book. That's what it means to be God-breathed. God governs His church and his people through Scripture. These are very general statements. He does govern his people. He teaches them about sin. He teaches them about holiness. He teaches them how to be wise counselors. He teaches them about himself. He teaches them about many, many, many things for the building up of the body of Christ. That's how he governs his church, through the Holy Spirit, taking the Word of God and massaging it, so to speak, deep into our hearts, he builds his body. It's imperceptible at times. We can't often look at numbers. What we can say is we trust that God is moving in His work and His Word to change people for His glory. That's what we can say. The kingdom of God is being built. Christ is building it through His Spirit and through the Word of God. Think about the promise of this pa- passage. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. It is profitable. It is profitable. It is profitable. It is necessary, I will say. A lot of things in life we believe are profitable, and we take action on them. Absolutely. We believe it's profitable to do this type of thing, buy that type of thing. We take action. The Word of God, being what it is, is profitable. 
you will never go wrong meditating on the Word of God, even when you don't feel like it. You will never go wrong. And what's it profitable for? It's necessary for teaching. Straightforward. We need instruction. We need to have our minds renewed. We looked at that last week. We need to be thinking properly at all times if we're to live properly. So it's profitable for teaching. I'm hoping to teach this morning. Or um, when you teach each other in Bible studies, that teaching is applying the Word of God. It's for instruction, just basic instruction to get us to think about the right things. It's also for reproof. It's it's uh, used for an expression of strong disapproval. I need to be reproved for certain things for certain behaviors, that someone means to say, you are out of line with that. Do you understand that that persistent pattern betrays who who you truly are in Jesus? That type of thing. The Word of God is used for reproof. In love we do this. That's a tough part. Some of these are easy to do. Helping, encouraging. It's hard to reprove. You don't want to hurt anybody. You don't want to cause hurt feelings. We're called to do that, though. It's also used for correction, very similar, with the idea of restoring. So if I'm reproved and I am humble through the reproof, I'm corrected. My, my pattern will come back around to line with what God wants for me and what's good for the church. It's good for training in righteousness, providing guidance for responsible living. You can read those words for yourself and meditate on them, but it's good for all those things. It's profitable. It's necessary for all those things. We cannot with our own feeble wisdom, make things up. Oh, yeah, this is good enough. This uh, little devotional book will be good enough. I spoke pretty strongly last week to say that won't do it. We need the very Word of God, and we need to be taught. We need to be reproved at times. We need to understand that it's, it's literally God's Word that He inspired human beings to write exactly what He wanted them to write. Let's not take it lightly. What's the reason for all this? So that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Well, what does that look like? What every good work? Well, the first thing I think of is I need to worship Christ more purely. When I think about why we're created, we're created to be worshipers of Jesus, to be thankful. If you read Romans chapter 1, you think all that bad stuff that people are going to be condemned for. One of the things... They knew about God because God made himself evident to them, but they ceased to be thankful. There was, very, there was things around them they did not give credit to God for. So what type of heart did I have? Is it a heart that more and more rests in his content in Jesus Christ and the glory of Jesus? It's a worshipful heart. That's a good thing that'll happen through meditating on the Word of God. Another good thing is we will be more, well, I think, Worshipful, pure worship means I'm becoming more perfected in holiness. I'm becoming more like Jesus, who always did the Father's will. And you could, every good work that's helping, um, feeding the poor, going on missions, there's everything that we need in order to glorify God. We are adequate. The Word of God is adequate to help us with these things. He saved us for every good work, and the Word of God is profitable. It's adequate. Now, what does this look like in the trenches, so to speak, one-on-one with each other here in church and wherever else you meet other believers? What's it look like? 
Let's apply 2 Timothy 3. I'm going to read Ephesians. Would you turn there? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Again, an exhortation to not be children, tossed by every wind of doctrine. We need to be in the Word of God. Speaking the truth in love so that we grow up. So that we grow up. So that we walk worthy of Jesus Christ. A friend of mine used to have a, uh, a saying that would say, someone comes to you with the wrong attitude, they reject not what you said, but you as the person. He called it shooting the messenger. We don't want that to happen, right? We may say something with good intentions. We may bring the Word of God in a really pointed way and is applicable, but because we didn't have a spirit of love and concern and a desire to build up rather than to sting, maybe it's somebody that you don't get along with that great, and you, in the back of your mind you want to sting them a little. That's not speaking the truth in love. We don't want people to reject the truth of the Word of God because of us. So speaking the truth of love causes the growth of the body of Christ for the building up of itself in love. We should be a loving people. People should look at Glory of Christ Fellowship and say, we may not like what you teach, but we see how you care for each other. We see how you care for those outside the church. We want to be known by a loving people. God cares that we do that. And as we work together with each other, God will build us up. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15. These are some exhortations, and I'd like to ask you what's challenging, before I even read it, what's challenging about this verse for you to apply? Because Paul is saying, brethren in this, and we're all to apply it. It says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. He's urging people to admonish, encourage, help, and be patient. Um, we read a lot of that in the New Testament. Oh, there's another urging. He's always urging us to do something. Well, if you read a lot, there's a lot at stake in what the church grows up into. Are we going to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ more? Are we going to be marginal, struggling because we're not people of the Word of God and committed to growing together? So he urges us to admonish each other admonish the unruly. That means if I'm undisciplined, if I'm leading an undisciplined life, if I'm unruly, if I'm, I don't know, disorganized, what does that look like? What does a disciplined life look like? Someone who is seeking the Lord, 
who is praying, who is gathering with the people of God, who is caring for their family, who is reading the Word of God, if I'm undisciplined in that, I'm to be admonished. That's a strong word. It's a very strong word to admonish someone. It's not just say, encourage you to pray and read and to gather with people. It's not just saying that. It's saying admonish them. Why do we need to be admonished for certain things? Because of the danger involved. I used the example last week of physical food. We eat physical food because we know that after a period of time my stomach grumbles, I don't like it, I need food. And if we waited too long, we'd start to see physical effects. People would think you're sick. Hey, you need to eat. You need to eat something. We don't have to be told twice. We're going to eat something. Well, I personally believe that if we are unruly or undisciplined in the Word of God, there will be negative effects to that. There will be a sickness. There will be a disease, a sickness that sets in due to our undisciplined way. It will be imperceptible at times. It's not as easy to see as someone, say, emaciated due to lack of food. But what it may look like is a sharp word, a sharp temper, um, lack of care for others. I mean, pick and choose your vice. So there's a lot at stake. Some of these things might be imperceptible. You don't notice the disease in a brother or sister right away, but when you find out, if they're free enough to tell you that I haven't been in the Word for six months, I don't have regular devotions. In love, we need to admonish them. If we love them, we need to admonish them and say, this is going to hurt you. This is going to bring reproach to Christ's name. It's going to make your situation worse and worse and worse. We need to speak that strongly at times. At times. I'm not saying we run around with the admonishment stick. What I'm saying is that there are times when we take the comfortable way out. And for fear that someone will not like us or maybe have their feelings hurt, we won't say anything. And guess what? Their feelings may be hurt. Their feelings may be hurt. Their emotions may be topsy-turvy when you admonish them for their unruliness. So what do we care more about? The purity of the body, their good, their joy, or their feelings? Feelings matter. Don't let me say that. And if they're willing to work with us, we can pray with them, we can talk with them, but we can't allow the mere fact that they will have a negative reaction stop us from admonishing someone. Let me repeat that. Just the fact that may, someone may react strongly in a way makes us feel uncomfortable, that's not good enough reason to not admonish. We need to pray to have God's eyes for them, to know what we should say and how to say it. By all means, we need to be people of prayer because He knows their situation. So I don't take, I'm not rushing to this. But what I see more often than not is we take the easy way out and say, I'll pray for you or something to that regard. When you encourage the faint-hearted, sometimes people just need to be encouraged. They're down. They're going through a difficult time, difficult situation. We just need to say, remember, your name is written in the book of life, brother or sister. Remember, Jesus is for you. Yes, God's providence can be tough at some times. I understand, but he loves you. He promises to bring to completion what he started. That's encouraging the faint-hearted. Come around them with the beauty of the gospel. Now, the unruly person you need to do that with as well. But that needs to become with, usually when I think of admonishing an unruly person, I think of a person who is rather callous. 
about things, indifferent to the fact that they're unruly. It's not about the person who says, I'm just really having a hard time. That's a different kind of attitude. You know, this is not cut and dry. But it's the person who says, I don't need that. I'm doing fine. And they claim the name of Jesus. That's an admonishment. They're taking it in a flippant way. Encouraging the faint heart is of someone, I'm just weary due to life's trials and challenges. Help me. You encourage the faint-hearted with the gospel. We help the weak. We're patient with everyone. We're patient. We don't expect overnight. Um, we've been um, focusing on biblical counseling in this church. A number of folks are getting trained at that. One of the biggest things with people you're trying to help is patience. Don't be strident with them. Don't be, come on, come on, come on. You've got to get this worked out. Okay? Be patient, prayer, come alongside, encourage them, feed them with the Word of God, do it again. Look for signs that they're slipping back. Do they need to be admonished? It's that kind of give and take that we need to be committed to do. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. You don't have to turn there, I'll read it. It says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So, we're saved by grace. I believe that we're secure in Jesus' arms. We have remnant of stuff that is ugly that we call sin. It's a remnant, this baggage that's clinging to us. Satan wants to bring us down. He wants to bring us down because he knows it'll be damaging to us. He knows It'll make God look bad. It'll damage families, etc., etc. But guess what? Sometimes things just don't come out as a gross sin. Some big thing that needs a direct address can be deceptive. Satan knows, and you flash the remnant. That knows that if I present this huge, oh no, I'm not going to do that. I would never do that. But Kevin, a couple of weeks ago, mentioned are you playing with the borders of sin, of something? Pick it. Maybe it's gambling. Maybe it's gambling, that you had a gambling issue and now you're just going to play the lottery once in a while, I'm, you know, wherever you come down on that. Maybe you're going to walk too close to something like that when that had a hold on your heart and you were rescued from it. What a travesty that would be. Well, we have to help each other. That's how deceitful sin can be. Thomas Brooks was a famous Puritan And he would say, he had a phrase or a way to describe it. He said, if you think you can walk, say this is the line and this is the pit, and you're walking, you think you can walk like this and you're going to be safe? He says, it's a pleasurable thing in God that you fall in. It might just be pleasurable for God that you fall in and you get the fruit of what you thought was okay to walk close to. God will discipline his children. He will get our attention for our own good, and it won't be pleasant if we walk too close to that. We do not want to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So what are we going to do? Are we going to admonish one another? Are we going to provoke one another to love and good deeds? Are we going to take a risk and say some things? Well, here's some questions I thought of that might help us flesh this out in no particular order. Will we listen well to others to know them? So you've taken the step to now listen to somebody, are you really going to listen to them? This is a brother or sister, and you want to show love to them. And a primary way you show love to them is you seek to understand them. 
don't cast them with a broad brush that you automatically know what their issue is because they uttered two words. We've all been on the receiving end of that counsel. It's not counsel. We need to understand that people are delicate. We're all very delicate. Our situations can be very complex. And if we want to be helpful with the Word of God, we've got to know what the issue is. It means we need to listen. We need to ask questions. We need to be patient to hear the people out. And then maybe the Holy Spirit will bring a passage to mind that bears on that. We've got to listen well. Ask questions. There's no rush a lot of times. Now, if somebody says there's some drastic thing they're about to go out and do, yeah, you've got to do something more abruptly. But guess what? Most of our interactions are not like that. We can sit and pray with them. We can be patient. We can listen well. We can understand. And then when it comes time for you to speak, they might just listen to you because you've kind of built some credibility with them. You've taken one, two, three hours, weeks with them listening. They might listen. They might listen to what you have to say and be healed and be changed to the glory of God. Do we realize that most of us won't simply come right out and say if something's wrong? Right? Most of us probably are not likely to do that. That's pretty rare when somebody's just going to say, oh, this is everything's going on from A to Z. I've listed out ten things. We're not likely to do that. Does that mean there's nothing going on in our lives? Let's face it. God's going to make us holy, and he uses life circumstances to do that, and we're not holy yet. We are not where we should be. So I guarantee that every one of us has stuff that if we talked about it, God could use to help us. Okay, I guarantee it. Um, there's no one that is not, doesn't have God's hand in their life for some reason. It's not possible because we're not pure yet. We're not holy. We're not fully like Jesus yet. It could be any number of different things. I don't say we bring everything out at once. You know, we can, we can do that one at a time. But wherever the person wants to talk about, take advantage of that. Listen well. And how will we react when someone speaks to us about us? Are we prepared for that? Oh, I'm prepared to now admonish the unruly. I'm prepared to encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak, etc. I'm prepared to do that, but am I prepared to have the tables turned and so someone to speak into my life? We're going to talk about some practical things to help all of this move forward in a minute. But am I prepared for that? Um, a number of years ago, this is when we were still, um, we were meeting right in this corner here. This is just after we came to this place. We were meeting in a Sunday school class. And I was being arrogant in this class. I said some things I shouldn't have said. And praise God, a brother afterwards took me aside and says, when you said these things, that was arrogant. I still remember that. And by God's grace, I responded like I was secure. I knew the brother. Um, I knew what he wanted and what it meant. But there's no guarantee I'll always do that. There's no guarantee any of us won't be ruffled when someone says anything. But I still remember that, and he was right to do that, absolutely right to do that. Um, and you will be right given the occasion to rebuke and exhort and encourage Make the most of those opportunity. And related to that, how are we going to react when someone speaks an actual passage to us? Do we just flip it off and say, oh, they're just showing me the Bible? Do we take this as God's very own word? And it may be applied 
somewhat perfectly. We don't know everything when we're only God knows your heart. So a brother or sister may speak the word of God to us and it may somewhat apply and it may be helpful partially. We don't know that, but we should receive it. Our inclination to say, let me think about that. Are we going to be open to that? And what I see in my own life is I'm reluctant in incidental conversations just to bring out the Bible. I mean, at least I think I am. Um, in general conversation. Hey, how's it going this week? And someone will tell me about some st- uh, stress at work or something. And they're talking about a difficulty they're having, say, with the boss or whatever. I'll listen. I'll talk to them. But a lot of times I don't bring something about the Scripture directly related what prevents us from engaging others in this way? You're going to have to answer this for yourselves. What prevents us? What, write it down this week. What is preventing you from next week at this time when you have a conversation from taking it one step further? When you ask how someone's doing and they tell you, are you going to be prepared to not just take a, an easy way out and change the topic, say, or say, oh, I understand empathy is good, but you're prepared to go another step further? Write that down this week. What have you noticed about yourself? In fact, one thing you can do during the week, pay attention, or even the next several weeks, pay attention to what you feel emotionally when you're talking with someone. Do you feel, an, do you feel nervous in general? I mean, this is a subjective thing. But a good counselor, is they're aware of themselves. They're aware that when they get with certain people, they get agitated. That's a good sign. That's a good way for you to know to pray, say, Lord, help me to calm that part of my, my spirit down that I can hear well and that I don't rush to judgment, okay? That's it. very much an individual thing that you need to pray about. But um, some people you're around, you don't know what to say. Every, well, we all have that. We all have the person that we're just a little uncomfortable around and we don't know what to say um, and therefore we just talk real fast and we get on with it. Well, let's, let's try not to do that. Let's ask the Lord to help us. So how, what practical things, as I close, what practical things can we think about? You've all heard these before. How can we be a people who are naturally predisposed to engage each other with the Word of God for the purpose of holiness and walking worthy? How, what does this look like? What, some, what things can we do? Yes, we're going to ask, be asked to do some things. Number one, be close to Jesus and His Word. Let this closeness change you, humble you, and make you loving and bold. See, unless we're, unless we're close to Jesus in his word, through our personal devotions, where you taste him, where you plead with him, and as this is regular, you will be changed into the type of person. As he's, you're feeding on that word and he's teaching you, you'll be the type of person that's going to be more helpful in God's hands. Not with everybody, but in the right moment. You'll have the right attitude. You'll have the right thing to say, the right disposition, because you spent time close to Jesus. The situation that normally caused you to get worked up, because you spent close, maybe it's before you do your devotions, before you go to work, and you know you have a difficult person. If you're, it's happened to me, if you're really, really close to Christ in that time, my whole disposition's different when I go there. Different attitude, different uh, viewpoint of everything. That's got to come first. You have to, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish be done for you. We cannot do anything unless we're close to Christ in his word. We can't. 
Second thing is we need to memorize God's Word. We need to be ready. Um, you know, we do the Bible memory verses here. If you don't like that program, do something. I don't, I don't believe that generalities um, are the best for being helpful. I'm not, I just say the best, not to say they can't be helpful. You may say, well, I know, say, Romans chapter 6 says this. Well, it's really helpful if you can actually, in the moment, feed that person with an actual text. That's what I mean. I say it that way because there's a feeding that has to happen. So we're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay? An actual feeding. So if the person's dis- discouraged and they're disheartened and they have a, a sin that they hate, good sign, but they can't seem to overcome, you can feed them with any number of passages. Okay? You can tell them that. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consi- Brother or sister, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. You can encourage them. Say, you are dead to sin. It can't condemn you any longer. It already crucified Christ. That may, that's the gospel. That may be just a thing to raise the spirit of that brother or sister. That's how you minister directly with the word of God. Okay? Very important. Um, and if you do one verse a month, but you know it and you chewed on it and you can recite it and you can help people, that's better than doing nothing. Okay? So pick a plan and memorize the Word of God. People, God will be glorified and people will be helped. And finally, make the most of all opportunities with each other. What do do I mean by that? Not like you're looking for a project. We're not projects. i got to help fix people now in God's hands. There's some truth to that. We are workers to the building up of the body of Christ. What I mean is be sensitive to what people are telling you. Be sensitive to how they're describing their lives. Listen and be ready. Don't walk away saying, I wish I had said something. Okay? And yes, that'll still happen and we're still saved. We're still secure in the arms of Christ. But to be a vibrant church, um, to be a people that are growing, looking more like Jesus, we need to make the most of those opportunities. God is so merciful to us and He's so good to us. Even when I don't speak the thing the verse perfectly or with the right attitude. Boy, does he minister. So I'm, don't hear me say that it's going to be exactly like this. I'm just saying that memorize the word of God. Let it feed your soul. Be close to Jesus. And then have something specific to share with somebody. We have needs. Everyone has needs. Make the most of those opportunities. So I'm hoping that you're provoked a little today. If you're too provoked and you weren't here last week, listen to last week's message. There was a lot of gospel, a lot of helpful stuff in me when I was reading the passages again. Um, we need to know that that's our foundation or this will be drudgery. Okay? So I encourage you to do that. And I'd like to hear in the weeks to come, how's that going? And if you need any help, you know, we have people here that are being trained in counseling. If you need help doing that, just let us know. We'll, put, we'll point you in the right direction. If you want to be trained more at that, just let us know. We can, um, we can help you with that. Well, let me pray for us. I thank you, Father, for your word to us, and I thank you for your love. Your love that sent Jesus to die for our sins. We can approach you now because of Christ. And we ask, Lord, we plead that you would 
by your Spirit, work in our hearts, giving, giving us new habits, new desires for the Word of God and for helping and caring for one another. So any errors that I spoke this morning, I pray they, pray they would pass away, Father, and that any truth would bear fruit. Help my family here. Help my brothers and sisters here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.